Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 313 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we went back to a foundational technology topic, decision trees and decision tree tools. In this episode, we wanted to add our contribution, such that it is, to the discussion around Elon Musk buying and changing Twitter, if indeed he does, and uh, where we are with social media in general today, and whether we should expect to see a great resignation from Twitter or any other social media platform uh, anytime soon. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be prognosticating about what's going to be happening with Twitter now that it's Elon Musk's for the taking. And indeed, we may be talking about all of social media today. Uh, In our second segment, we're going to discuss a comment we recently saw about collaboration being a bug rather than a feature for lawyers. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, Elon Musk, Twitter, and the current state of social media. Uh, Unless you have been locked away somewhere in a space capsule or a biodome for the past couple of weeks, it would have been hard for you to miss the news that Elon Musk has made an offer to purchase Twitter and Twitter has accepted. Uh, And as you might expect, social media news since that announcement has been all Elon all of the time. So we thought we would uh, discuss the impending purchase, what it might mean for all of us, whether we care about it, whether we should care about it, uh, and some random thoughts on the subject. Dennis, I am guessing, just a speculation on my part, from the number of average daily tweets that you have, uh, that quitting Twitter is not in your game plan. You know, after 15 years on Twitter, I finally feel I'm getting the hang of how I want to use Twitter, and so I'd hate to stop now. Yeah, I, you know, this has been a big story and it's it's had its ups and downs. So like I I saw on Twitter today that people were speculating that the with the drop in stock prices and Twitter's price in particular that there's actually a reasonable chance of this deal not going through. So um, we'll see what tomorrow brings or what what people know by the time they listen to this podcast. But let's assume that it's it's going through and that uh, People have projected all their hopes and fears for Twitter onto Elon Musk, and we get a sense of of what's actually going to happen. Um, and it, I think it is big news for Twitter because we've we've uh, those of us who use it, and I, I think sometimes you know we kind of uh, exaggerate how many people actually use Twitter on a regular basis or rely on it. But those of us who do uh, think. It, Think that it's very important. Um, so this is this is big news, and we, we need we want to kind of understand how it's going to change a platform that we use on on a, a regular basis. So um, 
I'm planning to to hang around and uh, we'll talk about some of the preparatory things that that I've done in case there are big changes. But uh, it is interesting because there was an initial feeling that some people were going to leave just because it was Elon Musk uh, going to buy it. Um, in the last two days, I would say there's uh, another set of people who are now planning to leave Twitter if Donald Trump gets uh, is allowed to tweet again. And probably in a couple of days, there'll be some other thing that people will say it's going to be the reason they, they leave. So um, it's an interesting dynamic situation, but I thought it was uh, a good topic to talk about, one, because it's timely, and two, because... Um, it's, I think it forces us to rethink how we use uh, Twitter and social media in general. I'm going to make the argument that it does not. It makes us do none of those things. And I'm going to tell you why I think that in just a little bit. But maybe let's spend some time first talking about um, what the news is, what the basic things are. For those of you who have only vaguely paid attention to the fact that he's made an offer to buy Twitter, but maybe not all the details, let's cover the details for a minute. So um, he, part of the reason why he wants to purchase it is is because he is Twitter's you know number one troll and number one uh, person on there. So he's got a lot of thoughts about how he thinks it should be run and how it should be. Some ideas are not bad. Some ideas are not so great. You know, for example, he wants to make the Twitter algorithm open source so that there is more transparency about how it makes decisions. Theoretically, not a bad idea. I don't have a problem with that necessarily. He wants to basically allow all speech unless it constitutes a crime under the laws of the country where it was said, which I don't even know how you begin to enforce something of that. But what I think he is not understanding, which every social media platform that has tried to break away from Twitter and say, hey, we can't have free speech on Twitter, we're going to have a free speech platform, is that content moderation is hard. Everyone who has gone away and said, we're going to have a free, we're going to have free speech, they've all been forced to implement some level of content moderation. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens when he gets there, and if, if he gets there and decides he wants free speech. He has a pledge along this to make Twitter more like the Internet's public square, I applaud that. I think that, that, that it has part of that capability, although I think it's more like public squares than single public square. Um, one of the things that I think is also going to be challenging and or potentially maybe dangerous is he wants to authenticate humans um, so that they're essentially he wants to avoid that there are any more bots or spam, which I applaud that. I don't want bots or spam, although it's very interesting. He has his own bot army that basically goes after anybody that disagrees with him, which is kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, getting rid of bots and spam is great, but the authenticating humans part becomes a little more challenging if you want to be anonymous, if you want to be pseudonymous on Twitter and you don't want necessarily people to know who you are. Um, that becomes a little tricky. So, couple of, of things around it. Here are a couple of other quick things, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Dennis. A couple of other things that I find very interesting. He plans to increase Twitter users from 217 million 
to 931 million by in the next six years, which just is blows me away how we're going to get triple the users, almost a billion users. It's very precise number too. He has a very precise number of how many he has. He, he has a new undescribed subscription service that he calls X. For those of you who don't know Elon, X is a favorite number, a favorite letter of his. He has owned the X.com domain for years and years. Um, he has said that it will have 104 million subscribers by 2028, even though we have no idea what you're going to be subscribing to. Um, Advertising now makes up 90% of Twitter's revenue, but he only wants it to be 45%. So I'm not sure how Twitter's going to wind up making money at this point. Um, He also, what I think is fascinating, wants to do is he wants to uh, license and, and sell the daily tweets to marketing and consumer data analytics companies. Um, I think it ignores the part that, uh, frankly, the copyright on tweets belong to the users themselves. So I'm not sure uh, how you can do that without radically changing the terms of service for the company. Um, And then he most recently talked about the fact that while casual users could use Twitter for free, he would have to think about charging governments and corporations a, quote, slight cost for using Twitter. So um, it changes day by day. So it's always interesting. But those are some of the changes and things that we can probably expect to at least be in the news or be hearing about um, as we get closer to a potential sale. Yeah, I I mean, it comes down to the devils in the details. So, I mean, we kind of look at those of us who've been on Twitter for a long time would say, like, there's a lot. Twitter is where it's at today as a result of a lot of evolution and argument and development and um you know, the way that people have kind of compromised on things. And so the idea that you can come in and say, oh, we'll do this and we're going to make we're going to promise investors we're going to make a lot more money and there's going to be this and there's going to be blue check marks and there's going to be subscriptions and there's going to be this and, and free speech and all this stuff. Um, we, we've sort of seen like all through all these ups and downs of of how that works um and and how it how it doesn't work and and these issues can be really difficult um and um you kind of come in and you sort of feel like people come in and they're you know like we're software engineers and we'll just program this stuff to get the results that we want and the fact is we're it's humans who and humans are unpredictable and they do what's unexpected and uh and they do sometimes just crazy things so i i don't think it's going to be a smooth process i just hope that they don't do a lot of violence to uh to how we currently use it. Um, and and I think that's the concern where people say, oh, I might go somewhere else, maybe. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know exactly where you're going to be on this point time, but I'm kind of at the point where, hey, look, basically, most of the times when people make threats to leave big platforms where they have audiences and communities, they never follow through on it. I agree with that. And and the thing is, is that if you are going to leave something, you need to have something to leave for. You can't, you've got to have an exit plan to where you're, especially if you have an audience. I mean, if it's just that you use Twitter to keep up with stuff and you decide you're going to find a different way to keep up with the news, then maybe that's not such a big deal. But, um, you know, the, I think that, that, um, that, most people stay for a couple of reasons. One, like you say, um, 
the audience that we typically have is there. I, I think that the other piece is that, and here's why I funda- fundamentally believe that nothing major is going to happen for the majority of people. And I don't even want to bur- but worry about thinking about what how I'm going to rethink my social media because Twitter is so big that it can be what you make of it. And the truth of the matter is that there are parts of Twitter that are just cesspools of disgusting content. I have gone through those occasionally. I have gone down a rabbit hole and seen just terrible, terrible stuff. But I know how to stay away from them, and so I never see that. So I have the world that I want to be in. I have I've created the people I want to pay attention to. They are generally kind, generally smart, generally informative, and I stay in that world. So unless any of his plans or anything that winds up happening to Twitter fundamentally change my personal Twitter experience, I am unlikely to switch. And I think that's the same with everybody else. As long as their day-to-day Twitter experience doesn't change, then this is going to blow over after a certain period of time because nothing really for them is going to make a big difference. Now, it might be that it makes a difference for the people who are allowed to come on, but I'll tell you, I, I, if, if there are people who say things that you don't like listening to, don't listen to them. Just tune it out. Twitter gives you the ability to do that. And so I think ultimately um, uh, people probably won't do as much as they say they are and, uh, and they'll stick around because they've already made a comfortable home on Twitter in a place that makes them comfortable to be in. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm there too. I, I, I look back and I just remember all the other times people were going to quit Facebook. They're going to quit TikTok. They're going to quit LinkedIn. They're going to quit Twitter. They're never going to blog again. They're, you know, um, and then, you know, like a couple of days later, they're blogging. We have a friend who I won't name who was notorious for announcing that he was going to stop blogging and, and then uh, sheepishly a couple of weeks later be doing it again. So I think that these are big platforms. We get a lot of value out of them and that's why we're there. Um, and I think that, uh, I just go back and I go like, Hey, if my community is there, if my audience is there, it is really difficult for me to leave. Uh, I might rethink a little bit about how I, how I use it depend, but that's going to be depending on what the audience is there. Um, I think the, uh, I did want to say one thing, Tom, that and we I think we use Twitter in somewhat different ways in this. But for me, Twitter is really underrated as a what I call a high speed, instantaneous news source uh, in a time when the news is sort of like the news media sites have moved to paywalled subscriber only content. So it's hard to get actual news. I mean, sort of the running gag is one of my favorite quotes about Twitter. It's simultaneously the greatest uh, source of, uh, like in a developing news story of accurate news, uh, inaccurate news, and uh, outrageously false, uh, you know, uh, stories at the same time. And so you kind of have to learn to to live with that. But the fact is that uh, there are certain types of news stories that that Twitter is the best place to get information. And and I don't think it's going to go away for that. Uh, it'd be difficult for me to leave, you know, to leave uh, Twitter because I do use it for that. Well, 
and I do the same thing, but I do it for mostly technology news. And so that's where rather than follow a bunch of blogs, I have, although I follow blogs and I still use a newsreader, I don't really use it as often as I use Twitter. I tend to find Twitter is easier to consume than consuming an RSS reader like Feedly. Um, but um, but the same, I'll, I'll come back to the same argument. I'm going to be a broken record in this segment of the podcast, which is that I know which I know which accounts give good, reasonable news, and 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 the ones that I can rely on and trust to give me what I need, and I subscribe to those sites and I stick with them, and I'm happy with that. And so I I totally agree with you that um, and and have agreed for some time that Twitter is a great news source. It's really just about finding the trustworthy sources and being able to filter those, filter the ones that are less trustworthy out or the ones that uh, have the potential for misinformation or for other things that just don't make for a worthwhile reading experience. Well, and there's no place better than Twitter for finding, you know, all the people who agree with you that the referees made a really bad call in the game that you were watching. So I guess, Tom, I, I, did you... So in this little, uh, in the past few weeks on Twitter, did you actually take any steps or seriously consider any options about, uh, uh, with respect to Twitter? No. That's all I got to say about that. No. <laughs> I, I would say the same thing. I, but I did uh, say like, oh, this is a little, little nudge because somebody said, here's how you download like all your, you know, your archive of tweets. I just went ahead and did that. Uh, which is kind of a weird process because you basically request that Twitter send them to you. Um, it's not a direct download. Um, so I think that I just, and I, when I look at it, I just say it is so hard to create new audience on new platforms when you already have existing audiences because you have to get that audience to move or just create an audience from scratch. I just think that is so difficult as a creator or, a, you know, someone who has communities. And, and that to me is a, is a stopper uh, for me. Uh, I know you haven't really th rethought uh, your use of, of social media, but uh, but I have Tom and uh, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, now maybe to dive in to say, like, if we were going to to make changes or rethink our social media, how might we do that? Or are you just sort of locked into where you are and say, like, you know, I, I, I'm all set here, at least for a while? Well, I'm going to let you cover that, because the basic answer to that is, is that I'm not unhappy with where I am. But I want to take a step back first. When you talk about creating new audiences on new platforms, is really hard. I agree with that. I think that it, what, what's hard, so if you are a, just a consumer of social media, if you're just there to get information and having an audience is less important, then it doesn't matter where you are. As long as you find where you want to be, that's what makes the most sense. If you want to be where your friends are and your friends will go wherever you go, then that's one thing. Um, if you are a creator, if you have an audience, if having people either follow you or respond to you is part of you making a living or something like that, then that is important. And, 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 and the only thing I have to say about that is there is a potential on the future for a change for that. And I want to talk about something that um, 
that a company by the name of Blue Sky, which is um, an open source offshoot of Twitter, um, has been working on, which I think is really kind of fascinating. They are coming out with something. They have introduced it. It is in beta now, I believe. It is called Authenticated Data Experiment, or ADX. I'll put a link to blueskyweb.xyz in the show notes. Um, It is a protocol that is built around you being able to maintain your own data, what they call a personal data repository that social networks could choose to support. So at some point, if you don't like Twitter, you could pick up your personal data repository and move over to another service that supported the ADX and basically install your complete history on the other platform. And so, so Blue Sky says, on the web, your data lives on the social platform where it's created. In ADX, your data lives in your own personal data repository that you yourself own. So Dennis, when you say that you downloaded your Twitter things, that's great, but it just gives you an archive. It doesn't really give you a place to put them. You can't actually do anything with them where this actually allows you to do something. Now, this is where it depends on multiple organizations deciding we're going to adopt this, which that may never happen, but who knows? It might, it might be something that wants, and, and, and it may be hard. You may say I'm quitting Twitter because now I can pick my library of stuff up and move over to the next thing. You still have the, 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 the dilemma there of convincing your audience to move with you. But I, what I find intriguing about this technology is, is that you're not locked in. You know, that it, that's no longer necessarily your only option. You have to stay where you are. And that's what intrigues me about the potential that people could move in the future, um, given the right circumstances. Technologically, it, it's becoming a lot easier and better to do, um, hopefully, in the future. Yeah, and I would argue that's one of the core concepts of of Web three as as well. The um, in in a decentralized sort of platform where you had a lot more control, or you had total control over over your own data and and where it was placed. I, mean, I, I would just go back to saying, hey, the, and all the stuff, the devil is in the details, right? Because of um, what was like twenty five years ago, we were all going to be all legal opinions and legal information is going to be in legal XML and it's going to be like totally usable and transportable and all this stuff. And, you know, you see where we are on that, uh, which is nowhere. Um, so I, I think when I started to think about this, I, I sort of, it just goes back to basics to me. You just kind of take a look at what, I, and what I'm doing is I'm taking a look at what I'm doing. So what, where are the places I put content and I use social media and then look at each of the platforms that I'm now using and say, well, what, what's the job to be done? What am I hiring it for? And is that what I'm using it for? And if there's anything new that I might consider, what, what would I be hiring it to do? And then, then more importantly, I'm looking to say, what are my audiences and communities and do I have them as aligned to those platforms as I, as I think they should be. And so, and, and I'd say content as, as well, because I have a pretty good feel right now where things, where things go. And then I look and say, what, what changes might I make? And so 
Tom, I, I, here's my quick list. I, I said, well, I could look at something at, like Apple News, which I'm using more as a, a, a an actual mainstream media news aggregator. Feedly, I use for RSS feeds. I could see using Twitter lists, maybe, but I, I have really great control on who I follow on Twitter. Um, I want to think more carefully about content placement if I'm doing it in the in the right place. And then then also the thing that always surprised me when people are complaining about Twitter is like you can you can mute all kinds of stuff. Like you just like use the feature set a little bit. And you go like, hey, I can mute like names or words or uh, any anything that I want. And then the big one for me and that we've talked about uh, from time to time is. Do I want to port some of the, or actually just move some of the stuff that I have on on these third-party social networks into the community platform at Mighty Networks, where where I just develop a completely new audience in in a new way? So that's that's sort of how I'm thinking about this the buy of Twitter, and I probably come out about where you do time is I might like use some muting features or other things, but. Probably I'm just going to reevaluate, kind of reposition a little bit, but I'm going to think really hard about how I use Mighty Networks. So I agree with everything you said, I, but I, I will sort of simplify the, my way of thinking about it is, is that I think it's a good idea, whether or not you know some good kajillionaire offers to buy one of your favorite social media platforms or not, it's a good idea to audit your social media usage from time to time. I think we've talked about it several times on the on the uh, podcast, and it's a good idea to take a look at what you're using and whether it makes sense for you. To me, I want to simplify it into three different areas. One, where are your friends? Because social media is not just about following the news. It's not just about doing a business and talking to professional people. It's about where your friends are. You want to be able to talk to them too. Number two, where's your audience for business slash whatever your lifestyle purpose is? If you are trying to cultivate an audience as a creator or as part of a revenue generating process, you want to see, you want to make sure that your audience is there too. Three, where do you want to keep up with the latest news in your field or in general? You, because it's, it's, it may not be the same place where your audience is. It may not be the same place where your friends are. Um, but to me, those are the three simple questions are about social media. Where do your friends are so you can keep up with them? Where are your, your followers going to be? And where can you keep up with things? The only rule that I try to, to apply to all of that is do not spread yourself too thin. Don't go wide because if you have too many places, um, you'll be unhappy. I've been unhappy before because I found that I am enjoying information from Twitter, from blog posts. There are some Reddit subreddits that I've started to follow because, frankly, some of the information there is even better than any other places that I've seen, and I am totally overwhelmed. And so it's really about finding one or two places that you figure can, can meet the requirements for you and, uh, and sticking with those. I would just add that I, I think I would start to also think in ter- uh, think of social media in terms of the, the bi-directional approach. So what am I posting and what am I responding to? Um, and to get a sense of that interactivity and say, um, you know, are my friends there? Are my uh, customers there? 
are different types of audiences there? And can I have some interactions through these social media platforms, which is really sort of why they were devised, um, despite the fact they've, you know, all been turned into advertising, you know, outlets that, uh, and, and that's one thing that I would think about is like, what, what is that bi-directional thing happening? And can I turn, can I, can I find some community there that's really valuable to me? Um, I don't know, Tommy, we should wrap it up with a couple of predictions. What do you, what do you expect to happen with with Twitter since uh, probably will be wrong by the time that uh, people are listening to this? Well, that's true. And and so I it's hard for me to make a prediction, but I I predict that Elon will still come through um, whether he gets uh, more money from the Saudis that are giving him money or from some other uh, interesting secret location where he gets money. I predict that that will still happen. I predict that he will learn some hard truths about owning a social media company like that, but I think that it will come at the cost of a lot of uh, uproar and maybe not letting the letting certain people uh, onto Twitter and make comments and have statements on Twitter that we have to learn lessons from. Um, I, I kind of think we're going to go through a growing pains period with Twitter um, with a new owner. Um, that's as far as my prediction is are willing to go at this point. What about you, Dennis? The one prediction I'm pretty confident of is that there are going to be many people totally outraged by what Elon does, and there are going to be many people totally ecstatic about what he does, and there's going to be a bunch of us in the middle who are kind of like, eh, That's whatever. That's not a prediction. You know, like, That's just don't. what's going to happen. <laughs> no, this is a serious prediction. But the, the one thing I'm going to predict is that – Twitter's place as the platform for what I think will be the word of this year, if it wasn't already the word of last year, for doom scrolling is still going to be unassailable because there's no better place to find out and follow all the negative stories in the in the world uh, in your spare time than Twitter is. And with that, we're going to close up this segment. We will see you here in another six to 12 months, and we will figure out whether our predictions have come true. However, in the meantime, it's time to move on. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. If you're like me, you're probably a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org to their new season, which takes a deep dive into democracy at the state and local level by highlighting different ways to ensure that every voter's voice is heard. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. 
But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. So we recently saw a comment from a lawyer about collaboration that we wanted to share. We'll help us kick off the series of podcast topics we're planning to do once our new work from home edition of the Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies book is published this summer. We actually received the page proofs for the books today. Um, so it should be off to the printer, I think, by the time you hear this episode. So here's the quote we wanted to discuss. And it goes like this. Having been engaged in looking at document management systems and CLM systems, I find the sales efforts seem to emphasize collaboration. As a lawyer, I find collaboration to be a bug, not a feature. I think I need absolute control over versions. Tom, is this lawyer's attitude a bug or is it a feature? So the first thing I thought about when I saw your question, is it a bug or a feature, is I think that this would make a great subject for our B segment. Instead of hot or not, let's do bug or feature. So that I'm just I'm just giving you that idea that let's maybe think about okay. bug or feature for future B segments in the podcast. Second, let's be clear. This is a quote from an actual lawyer. A real live human being lawyer made this quote. This is not hypothetical. This is something that was actually said. And so, you know, in this case, I'm hoping that his attitude or his thinking is just plain uninformed and uneducated. That's my hope. If it's not, if he really believes that absolute control over versions is the best course of action for a lawyer, then he's missing out on a lot of the opportunities to be more productive, be more efficient, probably endear himself more to clients and colleagues because, and he sounds a little bit like a control freak to me. Um, and obviously that last sentence where he uses the word control is, uh, is telling in that. But I am going to choose to assume that he is mistaken in his assumptions about collaboration. So just taking a tool like, like Microsoft 365, for example, collaboration on a document with someone doesn't mean that the primary author cannot exercise a further level or a higher level of version control over the people that they collaborate with. Let's take this Word document that we're using right now. We, we write a script with a Word document. I can go back to any version of this script at any time and have absolute control over what that version is. Um, if I'm working with the other side on a legal matter or those who might want to alter a document, then I can put editing controls on the document that would not prevent collaboration but would prevent altering of the document. You know, if I was even more of a control freak, 
I'd convert the document to PDF where it couldn't be altered at all, and yet we could still collaborate on it and, uh, and, and fully protect version control. You know, there are so many options to remain in control of versions and still collaborate. I have to believe that this guy is uneducated. And if I'm wrong, then um, I guess I have to say I'm relieved. I will probably never have to work on a document with this guy. Dennis, your thoughts. So although I didn't tell you, Tom, you are accurate in your assumption that this was a man who wrote this, a male lawyer. So when I saw this, it's, it's fascinating to me because he, and he did say absolute control over versions. So there's this, this my micromanager antenna go off. And I just, I'm just like, I, I think you miss like totally one half the point of collaboration. So we talked in our book, we talk about how it's really important at times when you're working together with people that you want to kind of open things up so that people can work on it. And then you're tracking what's happened so you can identify that and you get all the advantages of people working together. Then there's a point where it goes to the other side. And as you said, Tom, it's you still want people to be able to work with you, but you you exercise a different set of controls. So you don't kind of expose the metadata. You use track changes in a, in a different way. And so collaboration to me is is absolutely the feature uh, that you want in every legal technology system uh, that involves more than one person using it. And so the reason I shared this with you is because I just I just thought this was a bizarre concept. And as you said, it would just kind of miss the whole point of collaboration. And I would, uh, I would hope if, if uh, people have this thought about collaboration, then they really, I, I would not even wait till our new book came out. I would just buy the old book and, uh, and, and read up on this because you're missing like half of the core, uh, the core idea of collaboration. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. All right. My parting shot came about when I was trying to understand how to best protect my home network uh, for for and for, uh, on benefit and on behalf of um, a a new resident that is going to be coming and living with us, a young adult who will be living with us. Um, and um, and we, I I think I mentioned on the podcast before I use the Eero mesh network uh, to manage my internet and it has great uh, it has great security features and you can set up and now that I've done some more research on it um, you can set up child and or adult filters within Eero so that that prevents them from getting to certain sites and 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 uh, and information. Um, you can, for children, you can set it up by age range. So there's a range for like one to five. There's a range from five to 13. There's a range from 13 to 18. And then there's actually one for adult. And what they do in adult is, is that they break it down by types of content. So you can block adult content, illegal or criminal content, violent content, chat and messaging, social media, games, streaming, and shopping. Um, and I thought this is really very useful if there are... People that you want to, you know, at, at the very least, I would like to discourage 
visiting illegal or criminal websites. So I may put that filter on our network. And I like how this breaks it down and makes it more granular. Um, and I'm, I'm probably going to in, uh, implement some kind of filter like this. And I thought it was really useful. So if, if you're using a mesh network, if you're using Eero, it's really easy. Just go to settings and, and, and find the place to add child and adult filters. Um, if you happen to use another type of mesh network like Google or uh, NetOrby, I can't remember the other names that are out there, um, they probably also have those filtering products or, or features as well. I would definitely go check them out. And what's what's potentially brilliant about this is that the the user will just think that the internet is acting up or that there's like a bad connection that day and not realize that you've actually screened them from something. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. So my parting shot is, is, is something new, brand new, but it's also kind of an old idea. And so I've been reading about this, uh, this site called Oldest Search, as in the oldest search. And what it does is it, it uh, takes the the Google approach, which you know focuses on the most recent things generally, and it goes back to the first times that uh, the first mentions of something in in a search. So you instead of getting the stuff that just happened in the last day or so, you get stuff that happened twenty years ago on on Google. And this can be there's certain times this can be actually useful and it's interesting. And, you know, like I can, now I can use this, the oldest search thing to say like, oh my God, it's actually is true that I did coin the term legal innovation as a service because it shows right up there. So, so that's interesting, but it, it's an example, I think, of these customized Google search engines that you can do and that people have done for a long time where you can kind of take some of the, the Google filters and you can do some other things and you can create these kind of specialized search engines for yourself. And, and Tom, I think we've talked about these on podcasts before. And, and this is just an interesting uh, example of, of how to how to do it. And I, I think once you see how this works, it might interest you uh, or get you interested in trying some of the other uh, uh, ways to customize a search uh, search tool, either for a certain site or set of sites or for, for other things like that. So might be an interesting thing, but it's kind of fun if you just want to see like what what search results were like a long, long time ago is, is kind of interesting. And, and if you do like a search on your own name, um, that can, that's super interesting as well. I did a search on my own name. And interestingly enough, the oldest site, which had me wondering, is dated April 14th, 1975, long before um, I think most of the internet, I mean, the internet's been around for a long time, but I don't think that websites have been around for that long. And it turns out that there was a uh, a case in Illinois called uh, Blue Meyer versus Tom Mile Construction, and so my name is memorialized in a uh, in an appellate decision back then. So that looks like it's the oldest link uh, on the internet with my name, although it's a new link. It's uh, re relevant to an old old case. So uh, I was thinking in 1975 that might have been like one of our first internet columns that we wrote together. Yeah, I, I'm not quite that old. You speak for yourself, but uh, my first internet columns came out decades later. All right, and with that, so that wraps it up for the edition, this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. 
If you like what you like, uh, what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes uh, on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts, along with transcripts, or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, reach out to us on LinkedIn. We're all on Twitter. We've made that very clear. Um, or remember, we'd love to get a voicemail from you. That voicemail number is 720-441-6820. Leave us a voicemail. Let us know if you're going to move away from Twitter or if you're changing your social media habits. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and that's at Dennis Kennedy on Twitter. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.